welcome to another episode of the Live to Accomplish podcast with Nathan Shooter. To discover more insightful episodes, blogs, videos, and resources, visit nathanshooter.com. Hey there, everyone, and thanks for joining me on today's episode. Super excited to have your company as I share with you my chat that I had with Australian contemporary artist Keith Yap. And he's a young guy who's really on a mission to do great things in the creative space. And um, what we're going to be doing is focusing on this idea, this idea of being a multi-talent or a multi-skill. So don't confuse that with being a, you know, someone who multitasks. That's a different thing altogether. What we're going to be doing is talking about how to be good at or how to be skilled at doing more than one thing. A lot of the time we grew up with advice from teachers or from lecturers or parents even about how we should maybe just stick to our guns and stick with one thing or go to university and pursue one specialization and then trade on that in your job for the rest of your life. And while this is really sound advice and really good solid career wisdom, there is more than one way to skin the career cat. And for myself, when I left school and went into the world of employment and then subsequently into the world of self-employment, I started to, I guess, reassess how I answered the question of what do I want to do with my life? And you, no doubt, have also been thinking about how you answer that question at different points in your life. And it's okay to actually have a different answer as the years progress. In this episode, we're going to be chatting with Keith about how he responded to this very question. He's a teacher and a practicing artist. And what I found fascinating was that he didn't just rank himself as an artist primarily, then as a teacher secondarily, he actually puts them both on equal footing. And that's unusual because most people you talk to will say, I am primarily this thing, whether it's a CEO or a business person, but then I'm a hobbyist when it comes to this other thing. Whereas he has a different view of seeing them both as equal things together, which make the broader whole. I really think that you'll find some really valuable gems in the conversation with Keith today. And before we get into it though, just an encouragement for you to head over to the website, nathantutor.com and go and find those free resources we've got there for you. We've got a, an assessment tool for you to check out how you went in the previous year so that you can, I guess, get a good grip on how things went so you can set good goals for the year coming. And also some free book extracts from authors that we've had on the show. But for now, let's go ahead and dive into our conversation with artist Keith Yap. Welcome to the studio, Keith, and thanks for coming in today and spending some time with me. And I really hope in some small way that our chat today is going to help people to, I guess, feel less guilty or maybe reduce some of the pressure that they might be feeling to only pursue one thing or one major thing in life. Because often we do feel a bit guilty about not following conventional advice and just doing one major thing with our career or life. So welcome, mate, and thanks for coming in. Thank you, Nathan. Thank you for having me in the studio today. Pleasure. Thanks for coming. And so, Keith, I know that um, you're a bit like us and, and our listeners who are probably really great at a whole bunch of things and are who probably really passionate about a, a, you know, a good range of things. So tell us about yourself. What are your main key passions? My main key passions, Nathan, would have to be first most being an artist, but I think I'd have to also put in teaching as a dual, you know, I can't have the other without 
being an artist. So to be a teacher is to be an artist, to be an artist is to be a teacher. Awesome. So, yeah, so you've described yourself as a 50% as a teacher and 50% as an artist. Yep, that makes a whole, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, I think that's a really great distinction because a lot of us, when we start out in life after school, we're told we should go and um, major or at least specialise in one particular field. What then do we do if we're good at a few different things? So, what did you do the day that you figured out that you were actually pretty good at more than just one thing? Look, I'd studied really hard at school, at high school. Uh, my art teachers got me through and I topped the grade every single year. I knew I wanted to go into some sort of field and career in visual art or something creative. So yeah, I picked art education, which is very specific to being able to teach high school art or tertiary education art. Um, and the way that it's taught in New South Wales is through, you know, a massive curriculum and syllabus that the whole of Australia work towards. But yeah, um, I knew I was good at drawing, painting, um, all that kind of media. And I just built on that over the span of my five year degree and my te professional teaching career. Yeah. So did you um, ever want to pursue anything else besides um, art generally? Um, I always wanted to pursue something in science before I wanted to be a teacher or something to do with creativity. I wanted to be a dentist, which was really funny. Um, I just have this obsession with teeth. So, you know, I try and put that little sway into my artworks here and there, something about teeth or the mouth. And um, my last name is Yap, so <laughs> that would have been pretty cool. Actually, I... Um uh, my doctor or my previous dentist used to be Dr. Pulos, which, um, yeah, which is kind of uh, awesome and scary at the same time. <laughs> Very. <laughs> yeah. Um, so um, with this whole idea, then you go into art. Um, that's quite a broad thing. You know, you can choose, yeah, from different disciplines like drawing or painting or sculpture or, or film, all these different things. Mm -hmm. So what were the, just list for us the different things that you were pretty good at and then Tell us which ones you chose to hone in on. Mm -hmm. uh, so at high school, I didn't really have training outside of that. So it was mostly in the classroom. I loved drawing. I've been drawing for a long, like a long time since I was two. And then from there, the development into the university or tertiary education, I became a printmaker, which elevated my drawing skills. So I was able to use different mediums in printmaking, and that's a whole kettle of fish. And then from there I went into sculpture and they kind of teach you all of those kind of media at uh, my university. Yeah, yeah, right. All at any university, I guess. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I was there at the exhibition opening of your work, um, which is amazing, by the way. Thank you so much. It's a whole different bunch of expressions, but using the commonality of drawing, paint, and also, um, you know, light. You had some, you had a neon work there as well. Mm. So um, how did you manage to choose which skills you were going to utilize? Like, how did you come up with a yes I'm going to definitely use drawing, painting and neon to express your ideas rather than just using everything from, you know, printmaking through to film or everything. Yeah. Being a young artist, I think you can so much experiment with like a lot of media, but with this show, I think the drawing element or the drawing aspect of it was very important to me because I was able to illustrate really quickly at any time of the day when I needed to, because I only have a small working space. Like I'm sure a lot of the 
listeners out there have. So I really just navigated my way through just drawing, using all the materials I possibly built up over, you know, my university and then created a show. I had leftover paint, but the neon light that you were talking about, uh, that was kind of an outsource kind of job. So I just wanted to push my the look, I guess. So a lot of us, we go through this um, idea of wanting to pursue a passion mm-hmm. and then going, am I being irresponsible for pursuing something that I love doing like art or photography or, uh, you know, whatever it is that our listeners might want to pursue? That's not a traditional job. So did you think for a moment that it could be risky going out and doing an, an arts career when you probably heard people say you probably can't put bread on the table with an, with an art career? I've heard that many times. Even my teachers at university or the, my lecturers would say, look, guys, you're going to have to be waiting for 10 to 15 years before you get a full-time job, maybe permanency. And I just thought, well, you know, let's just break that mould. Let's break the barrier. Let's just keep working until you find your little niche. And with that, uh, here I am back home in Dubbo, which is amazing. Taught a few places in Sydney and in Orange. But yeah, I think if you just have the drive, you get there eventually. Um, Volunteer, uh, go out into the workforce, may not even be relevant to what you're doing. I think they all add up to the experience, really. I think there's a little bit of shortage of patience with people um, in our generation. I think that we expect our careers to be like a McDonald's drive through where once we've paid at the first window, it should be ready by the second window. And that's just not the reality. Definitely. Um, I believe that for sure. There's so many mountains to climb even before you get to the top of the big one that you want to achieve. Definitely. Um, I worked at Woolworths for five years and I thought, I'll never become a teacher and I'd got into my fifth year and I said goodbye to everyone and I said look I'm about to start my teaching profession it's I'm really sad but this is my next part of the journey Mm. Um, I think technology also has a big part to play uh, with this generation or the generation under me um, because you know it speeds up everything they have access to so much and your brain can go wild with that so I think just honing in on something would be I guess looking at the plethora of different things that we can do because digitally it's amazing how many different things you can do you can even have plenty of choice for careers that are 100% online and I mean like when I started Thrive Media Business there was no broadband there was no like email was around but like there wasn't even social media if I wanted to send a large file to say a printer I had to put it on a disc not a USB on a disc hop in my car and drive down to a computer store. So back then people said to me, in a regional area in Australia, you won't have a business within six, uh, within six months, I was told. And that was 12 and a half years later, uh, ago rather. So yeah, it's kind of like that whole mindset of being determined to do one thing. But having said that, there comes a point when you do have to decide that you have all of these skills and you have to decide which one you're going to trade on or which one you're going to earn money from. So what would you give as advice to someone who who perhaps doesn't have a business or doesn't have an uh, interest in art? How would you help them to look at the different skills they have and then choose one? What would you say to them? They've probably heard this a thousand times as well, but you go with your strongest and your strengths first. 
but you also have to consider your weaknesses. You have to know that although you may have a shortfall in maybe analysis or uh, kind of comprehension, I think um, getting the assistance, you are who you are from the people who are you surrounded by, I think. Like if you're surrounded by good people who are willing to help you and being willing to ask questions, I think that's so important to have, you know, that support network, which is, yeah, that's probably the best advice I can give as a teacher. I don't want to put my teacher voice on its holidays now. <laughs> yeah, well, you are in teacher mode. You just put yeah. your hand on your hip as you gave me that <laughs> advice. Um, so the other thing, I guess, that I'm really big on, um, and I'm glad you didn't didn't say it because I, I would have had to chip in, is I don't like the advice of just follow your passion because I think that can be a really well-meaning but misguided piece of advice. Yeah. So I liked how you said really look at your strengths and acknowledge your weaknesses because if for example you were to um, just do the advice um, of follow your passion then I guess you can end up in some really probably very interesting places I think so too (laughs) but you could also end up ultimately setting yourself up for disappointment I think it's a really good thing to analyze what your strengths are because chances are the things that you're good at are indeed also the things that you're passionate about So what should we do with the other skills that we have when we've chosen to focus on one? Should we ignore them or what should we do with them? I mean, sometimes they need to be put to the side. Uh, I don't think it should be put to the side all the time, but with my teaching profession, when the show was coming up, I kind of had to take a couple of days off to install the show. That was not negotiable. But yeah, always work on them. Like I'm constantly thinking about the next work that I'm going to make or uh, who I'm going to assist next or what I can do to help my, you know, professional career as well as my creative career. It's so important to just always acknowledge every single skill that you have, Nathan. Yeah, for sure. Some of us in going through the difficulty of looking at all of the things we could do and then choosing one, we become very, you know, focused on that. We put our blinkers on actually to our own detriment and we ignore those other skills so just by way of example years ago in 2008 uh, i was in a band you know we did a lot of touring we did two albums and recorded in amazing studios um, traveled a lot of places and um, then some things kind of happened with my health more specifically and you know you just move on to different things and so i thought for a long time why do I have this gift of music and why do I have this skill set which I can now no longer use? And I felt very frustrated by that. But then what I then discovered later on was that I actually realized that all the skills and the all of the different nuances and passions that I'd developed were actually super useful and then transferred over to when I started doing video marketing. And I thought, wow, what an amazing thing is that those skills were 100% transferable even though I was ready to give up on them, um, just because there wasn't, at that point, an opportunity to reuse them in a different way. That's right. I think the timing is probably what came into factor with that. But yeah, I like to think of it as all parts make a whole. And for me, if I didn't have those many parts that made up my, where I am today, you know, I wouldn't be able to have that skill set like we've been talking about. It's so important. I wouldn't have the customer service skills and know how to be able to talk to people like on that neutral level as I had to do my job at Woolworths, just try and understand where they're coming from, which is just 
a human skill that we all should have. But yeah. You see these people who are going into careers that are very much about like um, people, yet they come out of school, go straight to uni, but they don't have any experience with talking to people and negotiating difficult customers and that kind of thing. Mm. So it's actually quite a good thing to go and get you know, a retail job that you hate because it actually really gives you this extra sense of confidence Mm -hmm. socially. So that's probably a good point for us who are multi-skillers is to not see a job that isn't aligned with our primary one as a waste. That's right. Yeah. Definitely. It's like going out into the community. I think the community community plays a big part of that, Uh, volunteering even or just getting out into a group and kind of talking about your interests and passions, so important. I started at the gallery, the Western Plains Cultural Centre when I was 15, even before the walls were built. So it's kind of full circle for me now having my solo show there. But I think having met so many people from different walks of life and kind of talk to them and get those kind of ideas really made me understand what it means to live. So for those of us who have jobs already or are looking to go and, and get a job, uh, whether we're young or already left school for a long time, how would you help someone just informally with career advice? How would you guide them? And I'm sure this is a question you have as a teacher. Um, I think, again, I'll go back to that support network and just asking around where a job could possibly be or what kind of interest you want to take up. Uh, I think the library is where I would start. I think the librarians are such an amazing resource. Um, and the librarians themselves, just going in there and asking them, you know, what type of career should I take if I'm really passionate about this and this and this. Uh, They helped me. I went in when I was a work experience student. I said, look, I have three things on my plate. Can I do them all? And they said, yes, go for it. Yeah, I'm doing two of those three, which is so amazing. Um, Yeah, I think talking to people and then just working it out yourself. I think it's not... It's not an easy thing. You don't just get handed, you know, a job and expect to be amazing at it. Yeah, it's not an exact science. One of the key things that we've um, heard you mention is that support network. And I have a really great bunch of friends and family. And they are also very quick to tell me if, if I think that I'm not doing something that I should be doing or something they'll give me credit for things that I have done well or whatever else. We're very honest, but gracious with each other. And I think that's a healthy thing because you can help each other up. So um, what kind of questions could we ask our friends and family in order to find out what our strengths are? Um, I think we'd have to go back to basics and get them to write it on a piece of paper, kind of a really cute way of, yeah, saying, I like this about you. I don't like this about you. What can you improve? What can't? Um, what should you like look forward to or what's an opportunity that you could take Um, and even just having that conversation on the couch and just saying look you're amazing but you really need to focus on this part because it does like I said we'll come back to that many parts make a whole yeah get them to be really brutal critical and that helps you as a person and with your professional as well yeah so really asking people to give them, to give you rather, um, some really candid answers to questions like, honestly, what do you think I'm good at? Mm-hmm. And I think um, another really good tool is to perhaps go online and find some surveys or something along those lines that can ask you 
what you're good at, what you enjoy doing, and then there's a whole bunch of quizzes I'm sure that That's will give you a result. Just off Facebook, if we're going to mention that kind of surveys in digital world, I went on. I said, "Am I good at color?" Being an artist, I went on, looked at the Pantone scale test. 100% or well zero is what you should be <laughs> aiming for. And then there's another test to see if you are actually quite accurate in deciphering the hues and um, yeah shades. So that's my next project for myself. So yeah, there's so many things out there that you could be looking out for. So. Yes, it's really important to have diagnostic tools like surveys to just perhaps nudge us in the right direction. And many of our listeners probably already have done a personality test. But the problem that I see anyway, um, in my view of those personality tests, is that is from the view of how we see ourselves mm-hmm. and how we see ourselves as as being in a certain way or a certain personality style. So I think it's actually, like it's very useful, but I think it's probably more useful to do a similar test, but in the opposite manner. So asking people, how do you see me? Yeah. Because the more people you get to respond to those more outward focused questions, then you can get a real grasp of, yeah, maybe I'm really good at color and I'm good at drawing and freehand things, but I don't necessarily recognize it. So sometimes we have a tendency to see the blind spots in our own abilities. Mm -hmm. So is there anything that you do for students that when they think they're not good at something or they don't identify themselves as being good at, do you do some things with them to show them that, hey, do you realize you're really good at this particular thing? Look, with my students, we go through a range of exercises and activities. It's really tactile, it can be, or really physical. So we'll get outside and start doing these quite abstract drawings. Um, And that's really to do with creativity. It's not to do with other kind of, it's a different type of intelligence, like you were saying before. And as a person who's a multi-skill, like many of us are, we need to be careful about what we invest our time into. So if we're going to be putting in those practice hours, we need to be making sure that we're putting it into the right skill or into the right thing that we want to do as our craft. Um, So I guess we need to also work on scheduling. We need to look at how we use our time. Mm -hmm. So what do you do? Because you've described yourself as 50-50, 50% teacher Mm -hmm. and the other half being a practicing artist. Great question. Thank you. Um, I remember my psychology lecturer telling me or telling the class, you do things in 20-minute blocks. So... That's how I still do it today from fourth year university and now I'm five years out, still 20 minute blocks. If I don't get something done within 20 minutes, next. So from there, um, that's how I get things done really. So if I'm writing reports for 20 minutes, go and change and I'll go and do the dishes for 20 minutes or hang the clothes and then I'll come back. And it gives you time to think and breathe about what you're to do next. So yeah, that's a really good technique, 20 minute blocks. But if that's not enough, 40 minute blocks and then kind of separate them. Yeah, Yeah, okay, cool. So that's kind of um, um, batching it into bite-sized pieces, Mm. I guess. And so what do you do then in apportioning those 20 minute blocks? Do you say to yourself this week, I'm going to be 100% teacher and zero practicing artist or do you constantly achieve or try to achieve rather always being a balance of both every week or do you do certain days for different things? I think it really goes on with the mood like your whole mood could change with what's going on in your family or with your friend situation I think sometimes wearing those hats can be a bit too much so you do need to put it away for a little while. Some weeks you may decide to be 
the teacher for the week and then you know you'll need the artist at night to come out and help because there's so many issues between both that I don't know in my mind I can kind of understand what's wrong and what's going on and what I can improve and what I can better on but yeah and I think the temptation is also as someone who is you know interested slash good at a few different things those kind of people could be tempted to just always move on to the next thing and be easily distracted Mm. so it's good to um, apportion time as something that you do lock in yet also balance that with being flexible as you say you know life is fluid friends family work situations often often change you know that not everything's on our on our schedule so we've got some really great information there and some really great insight into how you did the business of being a teacher and an artist at the same time so what's next for you keith what's um on your agenda for 2017 and um, perhaps beyond 2017 is looking quite teacher hut for me. I'm going through a process called accreditation and I'm there for the students. I've got a new title and I'm going into other smaller projects which will help me along the way. But I think just, again, bringing it together with making art all the time. I just can't stop thinking about art. So if people want to find out more about you, Keith, get more of your story and see some of your amazing artwork, how can they find you online? Okay, so I have three platforms. I have the Facebook page and then on Instagram, you can find me at K-I-J-U-Y-A, so it's Kijuya, and then on Tumblr, which is Keithyju, K-I-E-T-H-Y-J-U dot Tumblr dot com. And you can find those links by tapping on the artwork of your podcast player or by visiting the website. I'd love you to join me on the next episode where I give you some simple keys that we can use to, I guess, pursue more than one talent and not just get stuck on the one thing. Until next time, find simple things that you can do to create significant outcomes so you can truly live to accomplish. Thanks for joining us today. To connect with Nathan, simply visit facebook.com forward slash Nathan Shooter blog or Twitter and Instagram using at Nathan Shooter. We also invite you to comment, ask questions and subscribe to the email editions at nathanshooter.com.